Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm going to share with you a little bit about everyone's journey. All of us have a journey with the Lord, and I'm going to share with you a few steps that is crucial for us when we start with our journey with God, and if we want to take our promised land, and if we want to take that something that God has, has prepared us to be. This is part of my sermon, okay, for in case you were wondering. We had an incredible ladies weekend. Okay, let's all look at Andre because you're not listening to me. I can see that. <laughs> you're distracted. <laughs> we had an incredible ladies weekend. Hey, girls, we had an awesome weekend in Port Alfred. And... What I realized during the weekend is there were quite a few ladies sharing their stories, what God, where, they, where they were and what God did in their lives. And I just realized once again that all of us have a past. And sometimes we are so scared for people to discover our past. But I realized over that weekend that it, it is so liberating to share our past. And, and, and it is so liberating to come to a place where we can say this is where I was but this is what God did in my life. And, I mean, I was just so, so proud of so many girls, even the last morning, who just stood up and said, this is what God did in my life. And I'm more convinced than ever before that God can turn anything that has happened to you. He can turn it around for your good and for his glory. I mean, I've seen it over that weekend, so many girls just sharing what God did in their lives. But I also realized that there's... There's a prerequisite for God to turn it around for his glory and your good. What is that? I believe that prerequisite is we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus along the way. As part of this journey, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we need to pursue something, which I want to call this morning our promised land. God can't just turn around something for our goodness, glory, if we are stuck in Egypt, all right? And I'm gonna, I'll explain to you this morning what I mean by Egypt and, and the promised land. But we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And maybe you think, so in terms of a promised land, what, what is that? Sonica, what are you talking about? And I can't really give you that answer because every one of us need to discover that for ourselves. But there's a promised land. And, and what I can tell you this morning, it's more than getting married. It's more than having kids. It's more than being a doctor or a teacher or a lawyer. Or It's more than your studies or your career or making money or your dream house. The promised land that God has in store for us is more than that. So what, what is God stirring in your heart? What is he calling you to do? What has been your dream since you were young? Not your house or your, your, the girl you're going to marry, but what is, what is stirring inside of you that is bigger than yourself. That, there's a very good chance that that is what God is leading you towards, your promised land. And it's worth pursuing. It's, there's something about each, each one of our promised lands that is worth pursuing. It's worth taking that journey from Egypt to Canaan like the Israelites did and pursue that because there's something that God has in store for you that is like the land of milk and honey, as the Bible explains. It's worth, it's worth it. So let me, let me explain to you. How do, we, how do we take our land? How, we, 
How do we take that promised land as part of this journey? How do we do that? The very first step, this is my, this is my step, okay? I'll get a volunteer to get up here, okay? My husband's very scared I'm going to fall off. So um, I'm not going to, I'll get a volunteer. So please think if you uh, have the guts to get up here, you'll be my volunteer. We, we, I'll wait until somebody <laughs> comes for that. Okay, step one, we need to be willing to move out of Egypt. That is our first step in pursuing our promised land. Let me take you back to the history of the Israelites, to the, to the Jews. There was a time when they were slaves in Egypt. For about 430 years, they were slaves in Egypt. And, but there was an appointed time when they started crying out to the Lord. So I want to take you that, to that scripture in Exodus 2, verse 23 to 25. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the, of, of the bondage. They worked for the Egyptians. They were slaves. And they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abram, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So step one, if you want to take your land, you must be at least be willing to move out of Egypt. God will take you on this journey. But the question is, how desperate are we? How desperate are we? All of us have found ourselves in Egypt at a certain stage in our lives because the whole journey of the Israelites is a journey of our own lives. It's a, it's a picture of our own lives. The question is, how desperate are we? Are we happy in Egypt? Do we enjoy it there? Because there's lots of enjoyable things in Egypt. If you read the, the, the story of the Israelites moving out, there were so, so many times when they cried and said, oh, they missed the meat. Must have been the men, eh? Missing the meat in Egypt. They miss the meat and they miss this and they miss that. And there's many enjoyable things in Egypt. But how desperate are we to take our land? How desperate are we to be free? And the the point when God stepped in in the in the history of Israel was when they started crying out to the Lord. And their cry came up before the Lord. You see what, what I've often seen with people, is we're not always willing to move out of Egypt, but we want Jesus. So what what do we do? We just add Jesus to Egypt. We're not actually moving. We, We still just continue with our lives, but we're adding Jesus. Why? Because often we want a better quality of life. We're battling with, uh, with things, and it's not really, we, we do not experience quality of life. So we want Jesus, but we're not, really to, we're not ready to take the step and move out of Egypt. So we, we stay in Egypt, but we add Christianity. We add Jesus. We even come to church. We even sometimes get baptized, but we, we add Jesus to Egypt. And if we are not willing to move out of Egypt... We're never going to take our lands. We're never going to take our lands. You see, and I know many people say that, that Christianity is like, you know, you're kind of weak if you're a Christian because you now need a savior. You know what? I believe Christianity is not for the faint-hearted. It's not. We need to make a few tough choices along the way. If we want to move out of Egypt, it takes guts. It takes guts to move. 
It's not for the faint-hearted. You know, it's like, it's like eating fizzes. How many of you like fizzes? You do? Okay. It's, it is sometimes nice. But you know, this is Egypt. You think it's nice. Okay, you honestly, honestly believe it's nice. This is Egypt. God has something better for you, but you haven't tasted it yet. Okay? God has something better for you. Would you... <laughs> I thought you're going to be more excited about this. I know you like it in Egypt. I know you are honestly convinced that it's awesome in Egypt. Compared to what God has for you, it's really not that awesome. And by that, I'm, I'm not saying that Christianity is a, just a joyride and it's not challenges. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you're never going to taste full freedom if you do not move, you're honestly going to believe that this is life. And it's awesome. You know, Andrew and I have, have spoken to a lady recently. She, she lived, or she is living with a, with a man for, I don't know exactly how many years, but it must have been over 10 years. She's not married to him, but she honestly believe that he will ask her to marry sometime, someday. He, unfortunately, up until this point, he has not yet asked her to marry him. She, she's like a slave to this man. She's unhappy. She's trapped. She's trapped. She's eating fizzes. But she honestly believed, no, this is serious. Okay, this is serious. <laughs> She honestly believes this is life. But she's come to a point where she realized it isn't life. You know, if you find yourself in a position where you live with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and I understand that you love him, and I understand that you love her, but you're trapped in Egypt. Even if you add Jesus to your life, you will forever be trapped. You must move. You have to take a step and move out of Egypt. You can't, if, if, you, if you go to numbers over weekends and still get drunk, but you have added Jesus to your life, you're still trapped in Egypt. You're eating fizzes. Okay? I know that you, you think your life is great. It's not. But it takes a tough choice to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. To come and taste. So I want to encourage you. Do not compromise. Do not add Jesus to Egypt. You're never going to take your land. You're never going to taste what life is really about. Okay? You're never going to taste what Jesus has for you if you get stuck in Egypt. Okay? This is step one. We need to move out of Egypt. If you feel you can't, you must at least be willing you say, okay, God, I have to move. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm willing. Help me. That's step one. All right? Step two, we have to walk in obedience, and we have to put our trust in the Lord. You see, sometimes in our journey towards the promised land, you will come to a situation in your life, it feels like a dead end. It feels as if... You're going to die in any case, so why did you move out of Egypt? It's not, it's not changing, it's not helping, Christianity is not working. 
That is what happened to the Israelites when they came to the Red Sea. Okay, now they moved out of Egypt. Moses spoke to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And eventually after the ten plagues, Pharaoh said, okay, you can go. They came to the Red Sea and the people said to Moses, why? Why did you do this? Why did you lead us out of Egypt to die? In the, to die because the Egyptians were coming for them. Because they regretted their decision. So they were now in front of the sea. It's a sea, okay? It wasn't just a little um, river or something they had to cross. It was a sea. So what do we do now? What do, what do we do if we come to a place in our lives where we feel, we almost feel we, are, we regret our move out of Egypt? What do we do? What do we do? Let me read you that scripture that what, um, in Exodus 14, Moses spoke to the people. He said, fear not, stand still, firm, confident, and undismayed, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you have seen today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace and remain at rest. Okay, the people were... Like toy-toying, okay? They were cross with Moses. This is what he said to them. Stand still, fear not, because God is going to show himself strong to you. You see, we cannot deliver ourselves, but we can walk in obedience. It's very important to realize that God will not expect anything of you that you can't do yourself. But what he does expect of us is to walk in obedience and to put our trust in him. So what does the Red Sea symbolizes? It symbolizes water baptism. Woo! Twelve people. How many people do we have now? I think twelve. It's getting baptized today. Water baptism is another crucial step, okay? Step two, water baptism. You know, when, when I was, I, I got uh, baptized in water when, when I was 17 years old. My mom cried her eyes out. I had to ask her permission because I was 17. And she cried for days. Eventually she said, I can do it. I really had to count the cost because um, I was in a very small school. I've told the story before, but I just want to give you a bit of background. We were 18 in matric. 18, 1, 8. And there was a chance that I could become head girl of our school. But there were 18 in matric, so any one of you could have become head girl. Okay, I just want to put it in perspective. But I had to count the cost because a very good friend of mine just a year before me, she was, she was a year older than I was, she was definitely, in everyone's opinion, going to become head girl. And she didn't make it because she was persecuted by the, the kids in the school. She was very outspoken in terms of her faith. And she didn't make it. And I had to count the cost because I wanted to get baptized about two weeks before the, the um, election. Ele- election. And I had to count the cost that day. It was as if almost I've given my life to the Lord for the very first time. Because I had to literally sit and, 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 and decide... Am I going to do this because there could be consequences? I have four siblings, so 
My parents had five children. My parents were teachers. It was a very small town. Everybody knew who we are, or we were at that stage. And I just knew everybody in the town is going to like, it was a very conservative Afrikaans plattelandse dorpie, okay? Everybody was going to talk about me. I knew that. I had to count the cost, but I knew I knew I had to be obedient. My mom, I'm, I'm very close to her, and she cried for days. And I thought, what am I doing to my mom? And I just knew I had to be obedient. And God turned everything around for me. My relationship with my parents are now closer and better than ever before. My parents attended the baptism. My mom was still crying at the baptism. It was so hard for her because they, she thought she... She was a failure as a mom because I got baptized. Now, the more I told her, Mom, you were, it's, not, it's because of what you did right. That's why I'm getting baptized. But she couldn't understand it at that time. And I want to encourage you this morning. If your name is not on that list and God is speaking to you to get baptized, I want to ask you, what is keeping you from doing it? Is it your parents? Is it your reputation? Is it your internal questions, struggles? What is keeping you from taking that step? It's a crucial step to to Canaan, to the promised land. It's crucial. It changed my life. I think a big portion of the fear of man was just pulled out out of my life. And God made it work together for good. I mean, I was 17 years old. I had to make a tough decision And God rewarded me, and he honored me for that. So I just want to say for those of you who are getting baptized, I know it's raining, and I know it's cold, but you're moving towards your promised land, and you're taking your land. You're taking it. You're moving closer to what God has destined you to be. And I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of all of you who's taking this step. All of you have done this in the past, but I want to challenge you for those of you, God has been speaking to you about baptism, and you're not, you haven't yet responded. Today is your day. Okay, you can still write your name down. You can still go. You can still be baptized. It's going to change your life. I mean, that's step three. Step four. No, sorry, that's step two. Step three. <laughs> step three. We need to deal with lies. And deception. Okay. I'll get my volunteer now. But the devil is an expert in lying to us. If you haven't noticed it yet, he's an expert. He's lying to us. How does he do that? He plants thoughts in our heads and he convinces us that it's our own thoughts and it's the truth. And the moment he can get you to that point where you believe it's your own thought and it's the truth, he's got you. Then you're partnering with him. You're partnering with the devil. Examples of lies could be, the pastor doesn't like me. How could the pastor not like you? You are amazing. (laughs) Do you know how many people honestly get those kind of thoughts in their heads? If you haven't had a thought like that yet, maybe you had a thought the pastor's wife doesn't like me. Okay? If you haven't had that yet, it might be coming because the devil is an expert. He wants to 
He doesn't want you to receive God's word. So if, if, if the devil can lie to you about what Andre or I think about you, or whether we like you or not, you will not be able to receive God's words. You will come to church, but you will close your heart. You would not be able to receive God's word. The devil is an expert in lying to us. We need to be able to discern lies from the truth. Other lies, I'm a failure. There's something wrong with me. Anybody has ever heard that one before? There's something wrong with me? I've had that lots of times. Okay, There must be something seriously wrong with me. I have no future. I'll never make a success in life. I will never find a husband or a wife. Okay, That's a lie. God is cross with me. It was my fault. I deserve punishment. I've had that one many times in my life. People think I'm stupid or ugly or I'm a mess. Or I've, I've made too many mistakes for God to forgive me. I've just made too many mistakes. God will never forgive me. These are all lies. Okay? They are all lies. But the problem is we don't always recognize the lie. The devil is very clever. He will, he will get you to believe a lie that, in your opinion, is truth. So how do we discern truth from lies? That is the important question because obviously if we see it as a lie, we won't, we won't make it part of our lives. It's because we honestly see it as a truth. We need three things. We need three things to discern truth from lies. We need the Word of God. We need the Spirit of God. And sometimes we just need a good friend who can tell us, this is a lie, okay? We need a good friend who is bold enough to be honest with us. So we need the, tr- we need the word of God. We need the spirit of God. Hebrews 5 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner, of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. The word of God comes, it cuts deep into our body, soul, and spirit. And he reveals to us what is really going on inside of us. That is the word of God. However, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So the word of God on its own is not going to bring life. It's not going to bring that discernment. It could sometimes just bring condemnation. Another lie, okay? The devil could use even the word of God just to bring another lie. So we need the word of God, but we also need the spirit of God. So John 14 verse 16 says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. So we need the word of God, and we need the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will bring the truth alive. It will bring the Word alive. You see, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we will come to the promised land as the Israelites did. What is the devil going to tell you? What did the devil tell the Israelites? There's giants. They're big. They're going to kill you. Don't go in. You're going to get killed. Okay, is that the lie or is it the truth? 
It's the lie. Okay, but they believed it. They were, there were spies. Only two of them came back and said, we are well able. Yes, there are giants, but we are well able to take our land. That's Caleb and Joshua. So if we do not have the Holy Spirit, we're going to come to our promised land, but then we're going to see the giants, and the devil is going to tell us, you're going to get killed. It's not worth it. Don't even try. You're not going to make it. Then we need the Holy Spirit to tell us, you are well able. Amen? We need the Holy Spirit. When I was, just a year before I got baptized in water, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is a separate event to your salvation, to moving out of Egypt. Moving out of Egypt represents we surrendering our lives to the Lord. Going through the Red Sea represents water baptism. Okay, but there's another step where we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It changed my life and it gave me boldness in, in, in a way that I've never had before. Somebody prayed for me, they laid hands on me, and they prayed for me to receive the Holy Spirit. And we, we, we give all the details and we explain everything at, at Encounter One, everything about water baptism, about salvation, about being filled with the Holy Spirit. But it's another crucial step. We would not, you would not be able... I believe, to take your promised land if you cannot identify a lie from the truth. Because the devil will tell you, this giants, you're not going to make it. And then the Holy Spirit will tell you, no, you are well able to take the land. You have to take it. Okay? We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It had a bigger impact on my life than even the day when I committed my life to Jesus. It, it it changed me. It transformed me. I would never be the same again. I would never, ever be the same again after that day. And I so want every one of you to, to know that and experience that. So if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, I would love to pray with you at the end, by the end of today. At, at our ladies' weekend, we prayed for about... About five people, I think, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and another ten to start praying in tongues because many people, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, but they're battling to pray in tongues. We also explain everything about tongues at Encounter One if you have questions about that. But there were about four girls who got breakthrough and in, in started speaking in tongues. It changed their lives. It is a gift. It is something God is wanting all of us to experience because there's something inside of you that come alive. And it's crucial to take your lands. I would love to pray for anybody who would, would like to receive the Holy Spirit. Step four. Okay, I need a volunteer. Okay, Leone, come. Hmm? No, you don't have to stay up there. You just need to climb. Four. Okay, give Leone a hand. Woohoo! Step four. Okay, the reason why I have the ladder is it takes more guts the further you go. Okay, I need, still need a volunteer for that one as well. 
The closer we come to our promised land, the more courage we need. So step four is we need to forgive. We need to forgive. And forgiveness is a whole topic on its own. And I'm not going to go into any detail, but unforgiveness basically puts you into a prison. If we are unwilling to forgive, you put yourself in a prison. But the moment we forgive, God opens those prison doors and you can walk out. So unforgiveness imprisons your soul. And I want to ask Haley just to come and share a, share a powerful testimony of something that God did in her life in terms of forgiveness. And that will actually explain to you the whole process and all the um, theology behind it. Thanks, Haley. Close my face. So many faces. Okay, my name is Haley. for the people that don't know me. I'm going to try and summarize something that was very deep-rooted in my life for many, many years. I had a huge um, problem with my father. There was no relationship there whatsoever. Um, and it used to go from fear when I was younger, and then it just became to, like, anger to hatred. Um, I really, oh, I had nothing for him. And um, that um, thing had obviously an impact on my home life, both with you, with my mom and my sister. It also affected them. It affected my um, idea of what my self-worth was. I really had a very bad self-esteem and problem with rejection in my life. Um, It's also, um, I attracted those type of relationships as well that mimicked him. Because it just sort of, it happens. You know, you find the same person in your friendships or in... in, um, romantic relationships. Um, so also because of that, I got a very bad um, idea of what men are like. I, um, I stereotyped them, and I didn't want anything to do with them. Um, so it had a very big impact on my life. Um, and then I had uh, also seen a psychologist, and it was actually really nice for me because I had like my mom and stuff, and they say, no, you need to forgive because this is going to create problems in your life later on, and I didn't want to hear that because... I was justified in my unforgiveness. He had hurt me so badly, and like I thought, God is the unconditional lover. That's why it's not me, and he can deal with him. I'm going to carry on my life, and it's fine. Um, so uh, going to psychologist was so nice for me because they said, no, forgiveness needs to be earned. A person isn't going to change their spots. They need to, you know, you can carry on with your life, and they need to earn it. So I was happy to hear that. Um, so... <laughs> So um, I would say last year was my Fizzer Egypt year. I was very happy with it. Um, I thought I'd finally found myself, and this is who I am, and everything was going really well. I'd finished varsity, and my internship was great. Um, and at the end of last year, I had, prob- yeah, I had the worst um, confrontation with my father, that we were literally at each other's throats. Um, and I had, I'm actually a very soft personality and stuff, um, He's never been a demonstrative person to say, you know, like, say I love you or hug you, whatever, and people know me. I'm very affectionate and stuff. So it was also difficult for me, and I'd always, in the past, when things happened, I would just be like, I'd slowly soften, and then I'd carry on, talk to him again, and then another thing would happen, and I'd always feel like I'm disappointing myself. Why am I giving in to him all the time? So you start hardening your heart. Um, And so at the end of last year, with that thing, I'd reached my limit, I, and I did everything in my human power that I could to cut him out. 
I thought he was like a cancer because he brought out the worst in me, an anger and a hatred. So I thought, of course I'm going to cut that out because I don't like what he's bringing inside of me. So um, I got, made sure everyone at home knew you do not refer to him as my father. He's got a first name. He's an acquaintance to me if I ever pass him. Um, anything I could possibly do to cut him out. Um, and I was then happy with it. I became indifferent after that. So I didn't actually care what happened to him because my life was fine last year. My Egypt was amazing. Um, and then, um, <laughs> then uh, I had to move to East London beginning of this year to do my community service and pharmacy. And um, it was a bit like iffy for me because I didn't have any, like didn't know anyone here and stuff. And the beginning of the year, I absolutely hated it here. Um, the, the work I was in, uh, everyone was closer, so I didn't understand what was going on, and I'm in a responsible position, so that was really difficult, and it was lonely through the day. I'd go home and in this tiny little box of it, in a, a little flat, if you can call it that, and be alone again, and, and when I'm left alone with my thoughts, things start gnawing at me. Um, so this loneliness started creeping in, and then it brought up old anxieties I used to have, and I used to suffer from panic attacks. So that all started again with a bit of like depression. Um, so I was really struggling the beginning of this year, and thank God, like when I came to church, it was something for me to look forward to. Um, like, woohoo, church is on the weekend, something to do. I won't be by myself or taking myself out to restaurants. Um, and um, so that was really like positive. Um, but I was, yeah, I um, decided to um, go and to my doctor and start being treated for these um, panic attacks. Because, you know, when you're at work and people need you to be responsible and you just want to run out the building as fast as possible and just freak out, um, I knew I needed something to help me with that. So, you know, so short medication was great because you're just numb and just like carry on. This is fantastic. Things that would bug me, not doing that now. Um, but obviously I knew that you can't carry on like that. So I, um, now that I was like alone here, I didn't have my friends in PE and stuff to sort of I could scapegoat into um, and lose myself in my PE life. Um, I had to deal with things. So I would, was praying to God and desperate, 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 please, please take this anxiety and depression away. I can't deal with this. I can't go through every day in this fear of this and this loneliness and everything. Um, and it would just be like a daily thing for me. Then there was a, um, the, when the Ignite session started on the Thursday evenings, um, went, I went to them because it was also, not just because I really enjoyed it, it was just another thing for me to do in the evening, not sit by myself. So um, I went to one of the evenings and um, it was the, during the praise and worship and I was really just like, like raw for God that night and like just praying desperately, please Lord, take this anxiety and depression away. And immediately when I asked that, I heard him speak to me, and he was like, forgive your father. So that's like a say what moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> that wasn't something I was thinking about or whatever, but it's like, and I was like, not a chance. You know, and um, he's like, forgive your father. And it was so amazing because that second time he said it, with it he gave me the forgiveness. And all I had to do was say, okay, Lord. And it was really crazy because I was so indifferent and full of anger towards my father. And with that second word he gave me, it's just I was full of forgiveness. So I said, okay, I'm going to forgive him. And I'm a person that when something happens, I need to think about it and analyze it, pull the wings off a butterfly. So for me to just be like, okay, was 
It's not like me. Um, so I was carrying on the praise and worship, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And obviously when the evening ended, now I'm in the car driving home, and my mind starts ticking. What are you actually going to do now? You know, like, is this really what you want to do? And, um, you know, your human side wants to change what God wants for you. And um, so I'd gotten home, and I was like, okay, now I can't phone now because it's really late at night. I know my father goes to bed late at, um, early in the evening and stuff. Um, so I did everything I could do first, and I can get ready for bed, get prepared for the next day and stuff before I decided, okay, I'm going to text him. Um, first time actually speaking to him in very long time. And um, I just said, you know, um, God has spoken to me tonight, and I just want to say that I am so sorry for every hurtful thing I've ever said or done to you. I do love you. Um, and I knew it wasn't something I could say, I forgive you what you've done to me. But I had to, like, just apologize for what I've done to him. And um, so I texted that just before I went to bed, and I put my phone far away. And um, in the morning, I, I saw that there was a reply, but I then was very scared to read it. Um, so I hadn't spoken to him for so long. So I did everything I could in the morning before I sat down. You know, like, now I have to sit with my phone and read this text. And his message was, like, just this, this softness. A person that never really shows his emotions, whatever, was just like, you know, I love you so much, and I'm so sorry for what I've done to you. Um, so that was like, Yo, you know, just when you, you are your father. Um, and so with the first time I went home, after having that, um, that message and everything, I was also quite scared to see him now. Now it's in person. And, and no one else was at the house yet. And um, I got into the room, and then he came in. And this man that I had become indifferent to, he stood at the doorway, and he looked at me with his eyes. His face is glowed. And didn't say much except just came and hugged me. And, you know, I think I would say unforgiveness, I think we classify it as something so small, like a weakness, insignificant thing in our life. But I think it's like right on top. Because from that, everything just did a 180 degree in my life. And God removed a thorn for me, but he took so many other splinters with it that I also didn't ask for. So when I'm praying, please take anxiety and depression away. He answered that prayer, because that all went away very quickly at the same time. And he answered my prayer just not in a way that I thought he would. So yes, it's done an amazing healing in my life. And yeah, awesome. <laughs> Amen. Thanks, Ailey. So I just want to encourage you. This is crucial if you want to take your land. We have to forgive. And the amazing thing is you just need to come to a place where you say, okay, God, I'm willing to forgive. Because God will work the forgiveness in your heart. But it's like Haley says, so many things in her life sorted out the moment she forgave. Anxiety, panic attacks, depression. You know, so I think often... So many, many things in our lives we're treating, but we're not treating the unforgiveness because we do not, we honestly do not think that is a problem. But unforgiveness literally puts you in a prison, but forgiveness opens those doors. I want to encourage you. I, I, I pray, I pray that the Holy Spirit will highlight 
whatever unforgiveness is in your heart. And I pray that he will give you the boldness to take that step. Just to take a small step even. And, I mean, Haley took a small step, really, in a sense. She messaged her dad. It's, it's big. <laughs> I know it's big. But it's also small. And God did the miracle. God did the miracle. You just do what, what God wants you to do. Okay, last one. Taking your promised land. Okay, who's going to climb the step for me? Come, Dion, go for it. I know Dion has dark chocolate. Dion, you have to share with Leone. I can't give Leone the fizzy. It's going to be an insult. <laughs> step five. We have to take our land. We have to just take it. Okay, we have to move into it. We have to believe that we are well able. We have to believe. Joshua 1 verse 9 says, it's God speaking to Joshua. I said, have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, Joshua was this, this man, this warrior. God wouldn't have told him this if he wasn't afraid. You know, God was trying to get a message to Joshua that I'm with you. You have to take it. You see, what happens? Sometimes we take the four steps and there's there's lots of little steps in between. Okay, this is not a recipe. There's lots of little steps in between. Like what, what happened this morning by people planting themselves in a church. This is also a major step. But I'm just touching on a few things this morning, all right? We have to walk in obedience to God and do what he wants us to do. But often when we have taken steps, we are baptized. We have been filled with the Holy Spirit. We, we're serving God with our whole heart. Then we often come to a place and it feels as if we're back in Egypt again. Have you ever experienced that? It literally feels to you, 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 you it's almost as if you think it can't be. I've dealt with this. I have, I have forgiven. What is this now in my heart? Or you feel that, that you, you really feel that that, is, that belongs to your past, whatever is now popping up. And now you, you're uncertain. You feel, have I moved from Egypt? Am I still in Egypt? What is this? What, what is it? Let me take you to a scripture in Joshua 5 as one. Let me, let me show you what that is. Okay, you, you're serving the Lord. You have forgiven. You've been baptized. You, you're serving the, God, the, um, the Lord faithfully. But now you, it feels to you as if you're back in Egypt. What is that? Joshua 5 is 1. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan, that is now inside the promised land, okay, when all the kings of the Amorites were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kinds of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan. From before the children of Israel until they crossed over that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. So what are you facing now? You're facing the giants in your promised lands. It's a different kind of battle. If you have dealt with things in your past, you have forgiven, you have repented, you have been baptized, you're serving God, you have dealt with it. That is Egypt. 
you're now facing with a different kind of giant, but it feels like Egypt. It feels as if you're all of a sudden back. <laughs> you moved like two steps forward and all of a sudden you turn back. The chances are very good if you are pursuing your promised land with everything in you, that you're facing giants and you're not facing Egypt anymore. But you have to take those giants down. You have to take them down. And the, the irony is, they fear you because the God of Joshua lives in you. You see, what, what happens with these nations, they had to, to, to take them down, but when they heard that God dried up the Jordan for them. He did the same, by the way. He dried up the Red Sea for them. Then again, he dried up the Jordan. So it happened twice, a huge miracle that just walked through. But when those nations heard that God did that, the Bible says there were no spirit in them any longer, and their hearts melted, which means that you are well able to take your land. You have everything that you need to overcome the giants that is in your land that belongs to, you, belongs to you. We just have to take our inheritance. We have to see it for what it is. This changed my whole perspective on challenges in life. You know, when, when I realized that if I'm pursuing my promised land with all of my heart, there's going to be giants and I must take them out. Okay? I can't feel sorry for myself. I can't feel like a victim. I'm not in Egypt anymore. I'm obeying Jesus. So, so it's not time for condemnation. It's not time for guilt. It's not time to have a, a, a victim mentality, to feel sorry for yourself if you're battling with whatever. It, it can be depression. It can be sickness. It can be, it can be failure. It can be, you know, I, I for a very long time battled to sleep. After, after Vian was born, and I really felt as if I'm stuck in a kind of an Egypt and I, uh, there's no way to get out. Until God said to me, no, this is a giant that you need to overcome. You're pursuing your promised land. You're walking in obedience to me, but you have to take it down by the Spirit. It's not by might nor by spirit. Uh, not by... What did I say? It's not by might nor by power, sorry, but it's by my spirit. So there's battles we need to fight and there's giants we need to take, to, to, to take our land. And we have to know that we are well able. You are well able to overcome them. There's no spirit in them any longer. They fear you because the God of Joshua lives inside of you. Amen? God has given us authority. We must have a different spirit. Like Caleb and Joshua said, we are well able. Yes, there's giants. But we are well able. God is in us. God is in us. God is in us. This little uh, animation cartoon that, that um, Vian's watching, Toby's Adventures. How many of you have ever seen Toby's Adventures? Okay. Oh, okay, wait until you have kids. You, you will all know about Toby's adventures. It goes this little boy having a relationship with God. And whenever Vian gets scared, especially at night, it's, it's the whole thing about Jesus um, telling Toby that he's inside of him and his words are his, his, it, um, has power. So Jesus explained to him, when he's scared, he must say, God is in me. I will not be scared. This is, it's his gun. It's his bullets. The bullets are the words. So... It is just amazing how, how um, Vian has experienced 
nightmares in the last week or so, and we've prayed for him, but he said to me after we've prayed, Mommy, I'm still scared. So I said, okay, but then you have to pray. You have to speak it. And I said to him, okay, what did Jesus, um, what did he teach Toby? How, what, what is the bullets? What is the gun? And Vian said, God is in me. You can do it in English and Afrikaans. God is in me. I But you know what? He said it twice. And after, after that, he said to me, he's not scared anymore. So I just realized we can pray for him, yes. But we also need to teach him that he must walk in his authority. You see, somebody can pray for you every day of their lives, but you must walk in your authority. You must take your land. Nobody can do it for you. You must take it. Amen? Okay, you can stand with me.